Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. Well, <laughs> this interview it did not go the way I had expected it. I thought I would be having a like 25-minute, 30-minute conversation with a man who is a known motivational speaker in the corporate and educational settings. He's funny, and I had researched him a little bit, watched a couple of videos, and thought, well, we'll talk about what uh, guides him, what fuels him, and, and what makes him funny. And instead... Uh, I found a brother from another mother, a guy who, like me, and as you will hear, we bounced all over the place, easily distracted with each other's intellectual capacity, our senses of humor, and just our life experiences. I want you to listen to Tim talk, though, because he is coming at the idea of educational motivation and life from three different perspectives. One, as a man and a student and a child— two, as a former educator, and three now as a father and a motivator. I guess that's probably like five, (laughs) but either way, take a listen, enjoy this. And at the end, I'm going to leave you with probably the most impactful thing he had said to me that stuck with me all week long. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I am joined today by Tim Clue, who is a motivator, an inspirer, a funny guy, and uh, an intentional engager. So, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ted. I work night ski, right? Did I say that right? How's that you going? See, that's perfect. Yeah. It's excellent. If we were doing Wilson training, we would divide that up in two, right? Two pieces. And I Correct. Take the first part and then say the second part. Correct. And then write, write it and then write it down. Over and over and over and again. over again. Yes. Yeah. Night yeah. ski. You even actually presented it to me because you know I'm a left-handed dyslexic rug rat, right? I'm a learning challenged kid with uh, a, a lens at which the, you know, everything I've done in the classroom is based on the teacher I never had. <laughs> That's awesome. And we're well, we're going to talk about that a little bit here. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where where did you grow up? You know, where did you go to school? You know, kind of uh, what was your educational Ted, I- journey? Yeah, uh, so I'm not going to give out my age, but I'm old. Okay, can we just say that I'm older? I think I'm old as you. All right. Well, and it, I grew. Up- I was going to say, let's go with that. That's Everybody- right. Yeah, yeah. Sixties, seventies, childs. Thank you. Right. So yeah, I'm a seventies, eighties uh, product of rural education. Uh, like I said, you already heard my little bumper sticker there. I was a uh, an operationally. Uh, a challenged child uh, in 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 almost every aspect of what they now have categorized into whether it's on the spectrum uh, ADHD and uh, dyslexia. I think I had a combination of all three. And uh, let me just tell you, looking for someone who understood dyslexia in the seventies uh, and eighties is like looking for let's say a vegan at a NASCAR rally. Can I just can I say that? Is that okay? <laughs> That's very fair. That's very fair. Uh, you know, and so uh, that's where I'm from. I'm from a small rural uh, flatlander town uh, called Rochelle, 16 miles west of Calb. And uh, 
you know, I, I often, I was blessed in that the town was small enough that it had that, it had that net that would, wouldn't let you fall in between the cracks. Yeah. And, uh, I think that was a blessing. I had parents that, you know, greatest generation parents that, uh, didn't care that their son was bringing home C's, D's and F's as long as ever so often, uh, I brought home a B or an A. Uh, so I, I lived in that bipolar world of thinking I was uniquely smart and uniquely stupid. Huh. I have a I have a paradigm for you that I, I want you to think about because, you know, as a person of influence who gets to be around people all the time, um, I, I, I regularly tell people I was born caffeinated. And... Right. That's not, that's a lot of people, a lot of people say ADHD, right? So, uh, and listeners have heard me say this before. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a disability. It's, it's a gift. And, and an ADHD kid's just got to find the person who understands that it's ADHD and then understand how to work with that because people with unlimited energy and antsiness are curious and, and funny and sometimes that's that doesn't fit the norm so people have to like label it and it's it's not a label it's a uniqueness and it's a gift what do you I think do of that well yeah my my, my head's popping i got uh, you know you know what i've got i got 100 sticky notes floating around the uh <laughs> the the board and i can't pick pick one off right now but i'm going to pick one off right first sticky note the uh, the classroom the educational industrial complex is not set up for impatience and urgency it's set up for regurgitation or the three r's that should be dead regurgitation reiteration and recitation these r's need to go by the wayside and we need to do of course more experiential problem based learning more uh you know society based engagement etc cetera, etc cetera. with that said gee whiz that's why I spent uh, my entire fourth grade inside a refrigerator box or most of it because the teacher didn't know what to do with me. And uh, it became this kind of blessed uh, unintended consequence that changed my life. Uh, and we can talk about that later if you'd like. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's, it's those uh, defining moments in our formative years that, you know, I, I, I've learned, you know, I, I, having been a teacher and a principal and a superintendent, I've learned that that children uh, faced with that type of adversity from adults right off the bat uh, have two choices. They can either succumb and believe it, or they can drive and overcome it. And again, that also takes the spark from other people. Yes. So, so with that, Tim, like who are some of those people in your life as a kid uh, who, you know, as you were slipping, kind of grabbed your hand, pulled you up and then I and helped to be who you are? I'm going to address that. I'm going to do a typical ADHD thing there. I'm actually going to backlog and say that the last point is that I find it insane that the classroom is set up um, to say that it wants leadership and leaders and collaboration. And the primary mo motive or motif or let's say protocol is a person standing up, looking down at kids sitting in chairs. Do we understand what's so uh, ironically insane uh, and duplicitous and not in alignment with what we say versus what we do. I find it maddening. And uh, thankfully there were some extracurricular activities that I was able to engage in that gave me my outlet. And we know those stories as well, whether it's band or the chess team or speech team or, uh, you know, uh, what the uh, debate team or whatever. Right. Thankfully, these, these other more less structured uh, elements that provide 
kids like me a place to flourish. And so anyway, now influences, right? Did I tag, did I tag that uh, correctly? That was a wonderful transition. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, friend. You're welcome. It's called tagging, right? That's what we do. It's, that's our gift. We can actually, when you actually know what you're dealing with, you can see the sticky notes, they slow down and you can actually pick them off the bulletin board, right? Correct. Correct. So the one I'm going to pick off, oh, there's so many. How about Mrs. Alberts in third grade who, huh, it was her first year teaching and she actually wrote on a report card, I wish I would have had Tim after more teaching experience. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, it's not wonderful for you, but that's a that's a great life lesson for the educators listening. Be smart about what you put down because Tim doesn't forget. And then um, my my fourth grade teacher put me in a refrigerator box and taught me what uh, is it Margaret Mead that said it's not it's 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 not what we it's you know it's te teach to the mind right teach the teach to the mind basically was the I'm I'm paraphrasing the quote sounds uh, about right. And uh, they, upon putting me in that box, I, uh, I was isolated uh, for the first time, and I found my mind. I went from a first-grade reading level, uh, where I could only read Charlie Brown peanut books, to a uh, third and then eventually a fourth-grade reading level. And then, you know, you, you're going you're gonna to hear the uh, rim shot coming up here. We talk a lot about um, the need for outside-the-box thinking. I think that's some dang good inside-the-box thinking. But ba boom Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that's, it's amazing because third grade was a pivotal year for me too. Um, uh, I, I didn't necessarily struggle as a learner. I struggled as a behavioralist uh, uh. following the rules, but I had the exact opposite Tim. my third grade teacher's name was Mrs. Hummerding. She was 1112 years old. Uh, I went to a Catholic grade school and like the joke was that she actually taught the apostles and <laughs> she she actually could masterfully handle hyper little kids. Wow! And, so, and those were those are the blessed angels that we uh, we yeah. needed so desperately, right? Yeah, she used to call them. So I was her postman. So my job, like about every probably half hour, thirty five minutes, was she'd say, "Teddy, go check my mailbox." So I had to walk down to the office, down the stairs, shoot down there, burn off some energy, come back. There's nothing in your mailbox, Mrs. Humberding. And then the office yeah. ladies would laugh because I was there. And then like 15 minutes later, I'd see somebody else in the class. Hey, go check my mailbox. Right. And it was just today we call those interventions, you know, meet the kid where they're at. And But back then, that's just masterful teaching. Uh, so, my consumer ed teacher, Mr. Romes in high school, would always begin the class by asking me to stand up and tell a joke, realizing that um, that would allow me to get that, you know, to release that steam. Right. Oh, Tim, uh, give me, give me one of the, well, so what was your number one? Like, like, you know, it's, it's interesting in, as, in high school. What? No, you know what? As a professor, as a, as a person that did stand up for 25 years, it's so funny. I, I could not tell you for the life of me, I would, I would literally just make an observation about some, in, I would, I would, I would do an impression. Usually it ended up this, I would do an impression of one of the teachers in the high school uh, that 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 he uh, enjoyed. That was typically the bit. So it would it's be, be very inside baseball. Uh, uh, for me to do, Mr. Breckmeyer, uh, Mr. Clue, how are we doing today? 
uh, my driver's ed teacher, but he was a wonderful man. And uh, I'm, I'm not a bad driver. So that, so that was essentially what I would do. Then there was in fifth grade, Miss Kazawiz, and uh, her, she was the first teacher <laughs> that kind of had that coolness, knew how to absorb and take a punch uh -huh. and, and deliver it back, but in a way that you couldn't even feel it. Uh, we, we, her name was Kazawiz, and it was spelled just like that, Kat-sa-wiz. And many of us called her Cat that whizzed. And <laughs> to, to which she wrote the, on, a, on the chalkboard and asked everyone to write a poem with these words in it, Cat that whizzed. Um, I still have the <laughs> That's poem. awesome. That, that, still, that's, like, that's like teaching judo. Absorb that energy, turn it, and use it for your own uh, opportunity. Perfectly, metaphorically, uh, and illustrifly said, my friend. Very good. Yes, exactly. No, right? Oh my gosh, Tim! I, th this might this might be a nine-hour interview because we had uh, a teacher by the name of No Wiki. No Wiki, Mr. Wiki. I had Mr. Wiki. You had No Wiki. Yeah. Well, uh, my class rhymed it a little differently, and it's not appropriate for the podcast. But ah, uh, uh, so I, I got it. I think I got it. Yeah. Uh, uh huh. Yeah, it rhymes with wiki, begins with a D. But anyways, yeah. uh, which got us in a tremendous amount of trouble, and she did not jujitsu with that. She she kicked uh. a lot of people out. Well, so Tim, tell me, tell me then, um, you know, as a as you go through middle school, high school, like in your formative years, and what's your career path? What what do you what do you do? How do you how do you take these gifts uh, and, and little hurdles that you've been delivered and, and turn them into, you know, the man that you've become? It's interesting. I, I just stumbled upon, you know, the many big books, thankfully, that have been written about the the you know the superpowers of dyslexia, uh, all, all certain dyslexics that have gone on to achieve great things. And I thought, where were those books when I was, yeah, when I was going when I was going to school? I didn't even know I had dyslexia until I was in college, and I was observed by I was doing an observation because I thought I wanted to be a teacher. Ha ha. Right. And so I had to observe a secondary, uh, no, excuse me, a uh, special ed teacher. And he was showing me how uh, you do a basic diagnosis of dyslexia. You know, they call it saccadic tracking, left to right eye movement. And as he's doing it to the young uh, lad, he moves the pencil over to my eyes, pauses and says, how well do you read? And at that point, uh, I started to, you know, become incommunicado and uh, embarrassed and shamed, but eventually he got it out of me. And then he changed my life because he sent me to a place that helped me figure out um, how to fix my eyes. Now, that doesn't answer your question, but hit me again with where we were headed. Well, I, 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 I'm going to go off of that for a second because uh, what, a, what, a, what a nice little intervention in life to have, you know, your pathway take you to this special education teacher who quickly recognizes in you the opportunity to help you. Right. The other phenomena that I had is, uh, the, and I always tell people when I do my uh, connected classroom experiential SEL LOL uh, adventures. I, I, what I, what I, what I try to make point of is that my story is not 
a curriculum or a program that we should be following. I am an anomaly. I am an accident. Uh, I am a gift of random things that occurred that allowed me to barely escape and, uh, uh, you know, not be selling streetwise or uh, offering streetwise uh, at the Walgreens outside uh, on Halstead Street in Chicago. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I am a thin, I am a thin line between possibility and uh, the opposite of possibility. So what's cool is the other story I'll tell you, uh, Ted, is that I, I had one superpower, I think, if any, and not every kid is blessed with this superpower. And I, and it's just that I, I had a certain tenacity a certain affability. People liked me, even though they all also wanted to th throw me, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, over off the bridge and, and duct tape me. I was duct taped, by the way, duct taped a lot. You can't duct tape kids anymore. I, every time I was duct taped, Ted, I thought, you know what? I deserve this. You know what? No. Yep. I didn't, I didn't even have a problem with it. <laughs> One time I actually brought duct tape to school and pre duct tape myself. <laughs> That was another jujitsu move, right? Like, what are you gonna do now? Come at me. What do you got? Yeah, what do you got? Yeah. What do you got? <laughs> what do you got, Miss Wiki? But no, what I what I'm gonna tell you my superpower, and uh it it's just like I said, um I I I wasn't embarrassed to ask questions at an unbelievably nagging rate. The best story I have on this is that the uh, my Bradley University psych teacher, unfortunately, on the first day, actually said to the class, a 300-hall lecture uh, classroom experience, 101 psych, said, listen to me, if you do not understand anything that I say, you may raise your hand, ask a question, and we will answer it together until we both understand it. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, Ted. I was booed by 299 students in that lecture hall oh, because geez. I raised my hand every single time I didn't understand the concept that he had written on the board. I was booed. I, how many college students do you know? I turned around and I celebrated it. I, I raised my hands. I'm like, what do you want to do? You want to mosh pit me to the back <laughs> and uh, you know, ce celebrate me as the one person that is admitting that I don't understand what learned helplessness is? Yeah. I don't know what it is. And uh, oddly enough, you know, there, there you go. So yeah, but that's, that's super. Like you said, I'm going to, I'm going to reframe your superpower there. The ability to advocate for yourself is, is, is such a deficit for so many people. And it takes so much courage to inquire. I, Tim, I, I, I find that the most intelligent people I know when they come upon a word they've never heard before, a concept they've never heard, they have absolutely no, no function. Huh? Huh? Uh, what? Huh? What, what does What's that about? mean? Yeah. Tell me about that. Because they're curious. Yeah, exactly. And 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 curiosity can annoy a lot of people who just don't want meeting extenders and want to get the hell out of the environment. So, you know, I, I guess I probably would have snuck up next to you in class and been like, hey, I've been wondering this. Will you mind asking this question for me? Oh, that's funny. Yes. We, so, well, we, did, we would have been a good mutton Jeff, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I when you said I brought the duct tape, it, it had me thinking of something. So I've always found that there are kind of two kinds of uh, uh, kids who live their life through improv. 
There are those who get themselves in a lot of trouble. And there are those who get everyone around them in trouble and are never in trouble themselves. Uh, I am the, I am the latter. Cause I would be, <laughs> I would have an impulse hit me and I'd be like, Hey, you know, it'd be funny if it's, if you said blah, blah, blah uh, right now. And then the guy next to me would be like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. And the teacher would go get out of here. So which we were you? If we would have gone to the same school interchangeably, I think we would have spent the entire year, uh, Either not in school or in uh, in in detention. I, I no. I I was I I was an extrovert uh, by any uh, definition. Even though uh, come to find out years later, uh, that was yeah, that was kind of me compensating in my goofy way uh, for some of the things that I didn't understand about myself. You know. And I, I, that's that's one of those misunderstandings that, you know, those listeners who are in education, you know, kids manifest or they act in certain ways. They present themselves in certain ways to either protect something or or drop down the attention on another area. Like, I, I can't tell you, Tim, how many kids I taught who were off the charts intelligent, who would act stupid to not get the intention of their intelligence. And then kids who struggled with compensating or co- with comprehension, who would act like they knew everything, but were clueless, and they would never come to a crossroads, and they would all play this game. So, so this uh, this authenticity that you know guys like you have, where you sit and you ask those questions, I, I, you know, I just need people to know, I, people to know that educators, leaders, we admire that uh, because you can you can smell out the phonies. So go ahead. No, no. no. Finish your thought, friend. Well, what I was going to say is when, so when you, when you finish college, then what happens to Tim clue? Like, how do we get to today? I, um, fortunately I was on the speech, uh, team. Uh, I don't know if your audience knows this, but there, there are nationally competitive programs all over the United States. Uh, my ACT score, if anybody knows ACT, SAT, I, I, I took the ACT score. It, I was kicked out of the test because I asked for Lynn Childers' pencil and the, the, they thought I was cheating. So I scored a 14. I want you to know that score does not get you into, even back in 1981, into any college in the United States. Fortunately, my uh, speech teacher, who is no longer with us, Mr. Clark, wrote a letter and made a phone call and then a gentleman named George Armstrong at Bradley University went down, spoke to a woman named Georgia, the secretary, and said, oh, Georgia, we're going to make an exception for this young man. Uh, and we're going to uh, put him on probation. So I was only let into the school on uh, a probationary uh, right litmus test. I got out of my undergrad uh and was allowed to move on to my master's because I thought I, I I literally walked upstairs. I lived in the basement, okay, of the gentleman I just imitated, Mr. Armstrong, who let myself and another wonderful uh, individual uh, and lifelong friend uh, live in his basement. Huh. Unheard of, right? Yeah. Uh, we also got a scholarship from. Uh, uh, Dick Versace, or we wouldn't have been able to finish our our our, our uh, senior year. We we didn't have enough money, nor did our nor did our parents. Uh, wow. Dick Versace was an NBA analyst, also passed a few eh, quite a few years ago. I think like five years ago, but uh, it's also a special person. And anytime I can use his name, 
because he's one of those angels that just dipped down and made it possible. And then uh, you're, you're getting this idea when I'm telling you about the thin line, the thin mm -hmm. line. And, and then I literally walked upstairs. I'll never forget it. I, I walked upstairs to the basement of the person that was ahead of the Bradley University speech program. And I said, George, what am I going to do? Because I went to four years of school and I truly thought I had nothing uh, to offer. I didn't want to be an actor at the time. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think I could just suddenly walk into a comedy club and start making money, right? Mm -hmm. I, I know that that's not possible. I'm like, how do I monetize the, 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 the lame uh, communication degree and the skill sets? Because I still am not an, a confident writer yet, even though I've written a play now. <laughs> and I'm still not a, a, a confident student at all, even though I was able to, you know, figure it out and wiggle my way through undergrad. So here's what I do. Huh. He, he submits me to the master's program at EMU. Uh, and I attend classes and realize that I got to write a lot of papers, right? More papers than I've ever had to write in my life. Right. So I, I go to the kiosk and I see, um, we'll write papers. We'll write papers for a fee, right? And back in the day, this is analog, right? This is old school, baby. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, just like, remember the room, the, uh, the, the, the dorm the, room, like you need a roommate or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The schniblets of paper at the grocery store, looking for a cat, rip it off, call the they, number. Exactly. Yeah? I got exactly. a great job on one of those when, at my college. <laughs> so I tear it off and I, I call her up and I invite her to the big boy on Washington. Um, because that's where I had was starting to work to, to make ends meet. And she's like, well, why do you want to meet? I said, yeah, I go, I go be, I said, you, we just got to meet. I said, Let, I'll tell you when we, when, you know, when I buy you lunch. So we meet and I, I said, all right, so you charge how much a page? She said a buck 50. Oh, I said, wow. uh, B I'm going to pay you now. Keep in mind when you're doing your master's, how old are you, Ted? I'm like, what? I think I'm 21, maybe, maybe, yeah. right? Yeah, probably a little older, but yeah, totally get it. 21 and a half, 22 <laughs> max. And I looked at her and I said, B, I'm going to pay you $2 and 50 cents a page. And she said, why would you, uh, why would you do that? I said, because you're going to, you're going to help me. You're going to be the reason I graduate. Wow. And every dollar that I made at that big boy in Washington went to a collaborative process in which I would handwrite out on a legal pad all my papers. So they were my thoughts. They were my effort. They were my mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had an English teacher assemble them into, you know, she was kind of the first chat GPT-3 if you think about it, right? Yeah, right, right, right. She's AI she, for you. She was my individual high vertical AI. Yeah. Tim, 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 I, I, I got to stop because I, I'm, I'm freaking out here for a couple of reasons. One, um, we taught, you talked about this a little bit before. I actually started college as a theater major with the intention of doing improv comedy, 
when I became a teacher, when I graduated from my undergraduate program, became a teacher, I actually went to two open mic nights. I didn't tell anyone I know. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever recorded that. And I got up on stage. I had no bits. And I just got up and told stories about being a teacher. Yeah. And it was it was some of the most electrifying feelings I've ever had with people just laughing at, you know, inappropriate things kids wrote on desks and and stuff like that. And you had B, I had Furby. Furby. So Furby was my co-teacher. I taught high school social studies and middle school social and his, I taught high school history, middle school social studies. Kathy Furbis, God rest her soul, taught eighth grade language arts. I struggled because I I have a whole different pathway. Uh, I was an at-risk kid, lots of trauma, blah, blah, blah. And I, ha- I had to take eight years to get my undergraduate degree because I had to redo high school at my own expense. When I entered my master's degree program, the very first paper I submitted wasn't even graded. It just said, do over. <laughs> and like, I'm like, so I go to my professor and I said, you know, what's the problem? I have... I have a history degree. I've done tons of writing and research, blah, blah. And he said, listen, you write like a child. Your grammar's horrible. This is horrible. This is horrible. So just like you, I would type out, I didn't handwrite it, but I type out my papers. I would hand them to Furby. And for a donut, she would edit it regardless of the length. Wow. It's, it's, it's life, right? Yeah. Well, and that's what, isn't that what, isn't that what the remote learning taught us? Dogs, cats, ferrets, uh, lizards could all be a part of the uh, correct. Correct. The they actually, do you know, they actually found out that those disruptions, just like you or me, that I was a disruption sometimes in the classroom, that those same disruptions <laughs> offered a release yeah. and were, were were helpful. They humanized us, and they also provided actually, if, you know, if you do, if you study the brain, MIT figured this out that like, you know, the average person. Um, it has to have a little uh, reboot. It's it's about every three minutes. The, the mind kind of just has a natural hiccup. Yeah. And says, what? hey, what's it? It's a, you know, we do, we go squirrel, not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and guys like us, it's about every three seconds. So yeah, probably, if, yeah. if, if I'm not stimulated, right. So uh, it's funny you say that because like I, like when I would see someone with a cat, like crawl up on their neck and like get on there and then like get all comfortable in the middle of a zoom, I'd, I would be like, oh my goodness but then well, yeah. that's that's when everybody learned during uh covid that uh all dogs in the world have a complicated relationship with amazon trucks <laughs> you'd be in the middle of a really good conversation <laughs> with people and somebody's little dog or big dog would lose it then they'd be embarrassed and then they'd be like oh good my my weighted blanket just came okay so yeah. so get your master's degree and you know, yeah. get us to like like career path, and, yeah. and then how you end up being this incredibly engaging, witty, fun guy who who provides oh. a little bit of fuel in the tank for people. Yes, I think I think doth exaggerate too much, but I'll take it. Here we go. Um, I uh, fortunately was able to teach the speech class and learn. Uh, you know, one of the great you know passions of my life. You know. I, I love that uh, quote in Richard Bach's book, uh, Illusions, that we teach what we most need to learn. Mm-hmm. So here I am, um, you know, still a wild, uh, open-ended canvas, uh, still needing a lot of, of, of painting to be done yet. And uh, I step into 
the classroom at the College of DuPage, a community college, and start coaching the speech team, uh, working on some playwriting and developing with a partner of mine, and at the same time, start dabbling in stand-up, and at the same time, um, start, uh, did I say, uh, teaching teaching about four sections of speech and uh, coaching the high school speech team uh, because people knew at that time that I could do that. And I was good at that. And I was. And so that's how I, that's how I went from eating grape nuts to eating golden grams. That's how I, that's how I upgraded. Right. Although no, they're both about the same. I would have to say that's how I went from eating uh golden grams to let's say bacon and eggs. How about that? Right. That's, that's better. Cause grape nuts and golden grams cost the same. One's, the same. Is, one's good. One's gross. And we'll let the audience decide. Although you know what you know what my my wife actually tested me whether or not I knew the difference between a generic grape nut and the actual grape nut and I told her I said don't 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 try to play me don't said, do this again I go don't yeah. do this I said because I I'll tell you uh, I I will th- this box will be tossed uh, permanently and yeah. uh, though those are fighting words yeah when you slide in a Trader's Joe fake cereal no like you th- it's war sometimes sometimes the brands have it down let's be honest right yeah. Yeah, it's not. I don't want raisin ran. I want raisin bran. <laughs> exactly. So, um, as I'm teaching, uh, I'm developing uh, and workshopping uh, some plays, comedy. I took some. Obviously, I took some improv classes. And you know, this is this concept that I try to share with people that sometimes space and place offers opportunities that other students don't have. Right? Mm-hmm. Location. I was I was con- I was probably connected to one of the top three uh, comedy communities in the United States. At the same time, I'm only thirty to forty minutes away from the preeminent uh, improv training in the United States at Improv Olympic and uh, Second City. Both of these are you know supreme in what they do. Uh, at, at the same time, um, I never wanted to be. I I, I chose not to. Uh, with the with, with this is the first time I'm actually now in charge of my decision making because mm-hmm. I would they actually uh proffered or offered that I put my uh where they put my resume uh in, 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 in for a full time faculty position right mm-hmm. and I was I was uh either dumb enough or smart enough to realize. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been capable given my kind of the the, the thing that you would commented on my impatience um uh my my wanting to only do what I want to do I I don't think I would have suffered the uh, the needed and careful thoughtful bureaucracies that are structured into schools for good reason I mean I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. um I'm not besmirching them I just would not have functioned well in that kind of uh space. And so I chose uh, this independent space in which essentially here I am in these analog MOOCs, so to speak, <laughs> of improv, stand-up, play development. And, and and really, I think the most powerful thing in the first five years I, I is, is being forced to, to, to turn my speech class into what I really believe is maybe one of the primary um, what's the word I'm looking for? Influences. Mm-hmm. The primary influence that turned me into the engagement artist 
funny facilitator, experiential um, connector that I, I, I now, I now am. And, and that was teaching, trying to figure out how I could reverse engineer, like I said, the teacher I never had into the students that I knew had so much firepower. And what I loved about the community college is you've got this haberdashery of, of students that, right? They're, they're working at Burger King. They're sometimes they're even taking care of their mom. Who knows, right? Sometimes um, you've got every scenario that you could possibly imagine in the area of uh, struggle and I, I want to figure this, I want to, I want to figure this world out and, and do something. And here I am, I think fundamentally offering up, not just how to orally organize thoughts, but I, at the same time was thinking about how can I structure a better self? So when you talk, you're talking from a base of, of truth, of transparency of humility. And, you know, what I used to tell my students all the time, there's this horrible thing that speech teachers have taught for many years. And I, I'm going to say horrible. The minute a student says, uh, or, uh, or like, or, you know, they, they go, you know, this, right. They go a little yeah. gaga, they write it down, they red market and they, they, and, and what, what happens? What happens? Do they get rid of that? No, actually the, 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 the the opposite happens. You codify that. Mm -hmm. you, you, you cement that as uh, something that the student probably won't be able to get rid of very quickly. Right. And then they probably, and then guess what? Then they're not going to want to speak very often. Correct. And I, my first assignment was to ask the students to write down five things that bug them about speaking that they were afraid of, bothered them or agitated them. And then they would ask me, well, how should we present this? To which my response was, however you damn please. Right. And, you know, Ted, you should see the look in their eyes. They were, I think they had more stress than if I would have asked them. Yeah, know, there's two things. There's there's a great freedom that comes with that comment, but then it's like, well, wait a minute. School has given me a structure and a formula. It's A to B, B to C, C to D. And then you come across a guy like you who says, well, I, I don't care. You want to do an interpretive dance? You want to dress up like a, I don't care. Tell exactly. me the story, however you want to tell the story. Tell and, your story. Tell and your that's, story. That's very freeing to a lot of people. And it's unnerving to the people who are good at playing school. If you want your eighth grade class to shut up and be quiet, ask them an open-ended question that they don't know the, that they don't that, that they could have an answer to, but don't, but don't want to give. Sure. That, well, there's that, that'll make them quiet. So much social posturing and and shadow boxing in an eighth grade classroom, it's yeah. insane. Well, it's interesting that you said that about you know I, Tim. I went to Wisconsin's version of a community college. They were called center schools, and and I, I have to be honest with you, I, I don't think. You know, I went to I went to multiple universities after that. Um, I, I never came across such an eclectic, weird, wonderful, like caring group of people like I did at my UW Center School. Like we had a we had a professor who was from from England who who said I had to leave Cambridge. Don't ask any questions. And this <laughs> this is this is pre-internet, right? So here's this man of mystery. I had a a philosophy professor, Dr. Peterson, who had like 
three degrees, PhDs from Toronto, but it, it, clearly he was a misfit. So he's there. And, and there are all these amazing people who, what, what you just said, which I loved, because you said that with great empathy. The kid's working at Burger King. This one's taking care of his mom. They're just, they're just trying to move themselves into a space where they could be who they want to be. You know, I was I I sold cars full time, played soccer, and went to a two year community college full time, all at the same time. And every one of those professors was empathetic because they knew that this is kind of a merry band of misfits. This is the island of misfit toys here, and we're going to help these kids. So I really applaud you for for that, and then what you learned from there. And then the other thing I was going to tell you as you were speaking is everybody needs a speech teacher like Mister Clue, and and. I think the greatest improv comedians in the world fill our schools and just don't even know it because everything's moving at a hundred miles per hour Yep, and they're constantly responding and reacting. And I think why they're in such good improv improv, they're so good at improv is because they act like nothing bothers them. And that's why when guys like you come rolling into auditoriums with people like us, that laughter you bring us just, just drives us. Drives us to the next level for the next well, day, next week, next month, next year. Yeah, but I've made a major pivot. You know, I, 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 I often tell the story of feeling like Rip Van Winkle when in 2008 the the uh, corporate entertainment market shut down because the housing crisis exploded, and uh, let's just say that that impulse available money at the uh, end of the counter was no longer in the mm-hmm. budgets to uh, bring in a, a, a comic soothsayer like myself. So. Uh, fortunately, uh, once again, uh, inspiration, perspiration and desperation collide. And now I'm back to teaching 10 years later after a 10 to 12 year pause. Wow. Right. I head back in the classroom with all the confidence and skill sets in the world. I'm a, I, you know, I'm a, I was a sought after, uh, a humorous motivational speaker, but largely to entertain, right? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really moved my, I I really hadn't had my next aha moment until you try to teach a class of millennials as a (laughs) 50-year-old. And that uh, gave me one of the simplest inspirations. I I, I had put my PowerPoints together. I had, I was so excited to re-enter and and you know to test out to test out the all these great tools that I had I had been honing over the years, and I thought this is going to be one of the easiest things I've ever done. And as as with most stories like this, they changed my life. I hope I changed theirs, but they changed my life, right? Yeah. Because what happened was, no, no matter how entertaining I could be, I noticed that after a week or two, uh, I I could see the flies buzzing around their head, the the dog staring into the fan. Uh, the deer in the headlights, <laughs> right? Yep. And uh, finally, one day, Dad, I took my advancer, the clicker that has the ultimate control of every thought you have, because those are your images that you want to impart to your students. And I threw it on the floor and I said, Something is seriously wrong. I don't know what is going on. And uh, this class is canceled because there's no there's no, we're not collaborating. We're not communicating. There is no connection here at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not up here to dance like a monk, uh, uh, dance like a monkey on a box mm-hmm. uh, for your entertainment. 
I don't mind being entertaining to convey and connect, but that method had run its, you know, run its route. I said, so unless someone wants to pick up this clicker and start clicking and tell me what the hell those slides are talking about, you can leave. You can all go. And you know what happened. Three students walked up there. They took the clicker. They started clicking and explaining and laughing and figuring out. And guess what, Ted? I've never stood up in front of a classroom ever again in my life. Hmm. I sit by the side and I let them stand up and lead and figure out. And we struggle, struggle and bumble and laugh. And, and we still get there. But guess what? It's, it's unforgettable because it's an experience that they're sharing with each other. It's not a monologue carefully etched out with a few good jokes in between. That's excellent. And, and, and on their part, it's discovery and it's yeah. risk and it's Dangerous. learning and it's teaching. Yeah. And it's, oh, it's like playing with fire, right? Because, and the, and, and the other thing, the courage for those uh, students to step up and be like, okay, let's see what happens. Right? Let's see what happens. And that's that's that great video, right, with the one guy out dancing on the hill and all of a sudden 100 people are dancing with him 10 minutes later. It just takes the one. Happy accidents, right? Yep, yep. So tell me, and, and we're going to wrap up here in a couple minutes, but but tell me tell me a little bit about your discomfort zone that I that I see you talk about and, and, and uh, you know, uh, people who've seen you talk about, like, we're going to enter the discomfort zone. Like, what do you, you, know, what do you mean by that? You know, I, you know, it's funny, I... I don't know if you've watched the, you're going to be surprised where I take this. I don't know if you watch the HBO series. It's, it's about the cult uh, in uh, the Schenectady area called the vow. Have you heard about this, Ted? I, I've heard about it. I have not watched it though. So um, I watched it and I realized that, wow. Uh, I, I realized that something that I believe in wholeheartedly was actually used as, as a way to strip people of their will and uh, make them a part of a cult. So I'm almost a little embarrassed to uh, highlight this, but uh, uh, the, the vow is, uh, is like watching seven car accidents at the same time in slow motion. So uh, enjoy that. However, um, I do, I do think that basically, you know, the more you offer students the opportunity to slow the pitch down or enter the controlled burn, uh, that that fire people need to do before they actually enter a live fire. Uh-huh. Uh, the more um, you're stretching that natural uh, capability to be both uncomfortable and figure out how to gain control. I think that's the word I want to use more operationally, right? Uh-huh. Gain control over all those uh, undulating vibrations that are... Uh, that are firing in your brain. Like when you speak and you're like, Oh, I've got dry mouth. Oh, my hair is standing on in. I, uh, I, 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 my, my, my eyes are tiny. And you start thinking about, you know, every, every weakness that you have, instead of actually just bringing it down to what it is that you'd like to get across. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm, that's what I believe in that with that, uh, that we need to provide kids of, of all stripes, ages, uh, experiences that keep them both off balance and yet there's still something familiar out there that that they can look at and go you know what this is this is okay i can be uncomfortable and at the same time figure out why i'm uncomfortable 
and how to maintain control. And that is the essence of SEL, LOL, social emotional learning, is, is that once you have the humility to figure out that mistakes are are at the at the at the at the at the precipice at the precipice of opportunity mm-hmm. and that falling forward is the reinvention of a canvas that you messed up and you're not afraid to repaint it again. These are these universal truths and that make us both kings, queens, warriors, and uh, capable of 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 helping others do the same. I honestly thought you were going to quote Bob Ross there. Well, happy accident. Happy oh, accident. Right? You were right there. I was right there. I, I, Tim, I, 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 I should have. Yeah, that was that that was excellent. And and one of the things that uh, we talk about on the podcast all the time is uh, we we define leadership as anyone who has influence over another person. You know, you get into you get into grad school, you start focusing on what's a leader, and everybody starts pointing out human beings, or they write seventeen pages of you know all the different acumens and, and qualities. At the end of the day, we 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 boil it down. I boil it down to just a simple: every moment of every day, you can change the direction of another person, and your influence is what matters. And as long as you lead wherever your feet are, you know you're going to be amazed by by the ability you have to, on a micro and macro level, you know, change the direction of people. And with that, I, you know, tell me, tell me, like when you're in front of audiences, whether those be your students or, or in the past, or, or like you know, big audiences doing, you know, uh, motivational pieces. What 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 does that feel like for you with with the energy and knowing that you're influencing others' engagement and shifting their directions? You know, it was a, it was it was an interesting move from. Um, you know, comedy, improv, corporate entertainment. And then I stumbled into a, someone asked me, Hey, do you ever speak to, would you speak to our teachers at the school? And I said, yeah. And then I realized I had nothing to say. And I mean it, that everything that I'd ever said, every joke that I'd ever done. And I stayed up for all night. And then I walked in and just started doing what we just did right here. Mm -hmm. I, I just thought, well, I'll do a few improv bits with them and I'll tell them my story in between. And when that discovery occurred, that unleashed this idea that we are co-collaborators and connectors. We are inherently put on this earth to be not just next to people, but try to figure out how to help ourselves be better and help those others be better with us. And that's when I made the shift to like, well, wait a minute. What if it wasn't a presentation? It was a, it was a, it was, I'm an instigator, right? Yeah. And when I, when I moved, when I, when I got off the stage and just like I did with the, the advancer or the clicker and threw it down and then got into the center of the group, I I suddenly felt a, 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 a calm, uh, like a like a fish in water. Uh, I don't know if you know this about uh, autistic children. And uh, is that do you know that um, that the reason they they tell them to have compression blankets is because that weight gives them a sense of calm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It literally neuro- neurologically changes their the syn- the synapses and how they connect. 
-hmm. And I swear to you, Ted, when I moved off the stage way away from people and moved into the center, I found my compression blanket. And I found that that vibration was that pebble that fell into the water that had ripples. And not just because of me, but because of us. And that was the pivot that brought me to this conversation today. You know, uh, when you were speaking, I wrote something down because I, I, I think that you have a really cool formula for what you do. And I really admire it. And uh, like I started out, you know, I, I, two guys born caffeinated with uh, the, the gift of attention deficit. You know, when I, when I speak as a, with groups, I'm the same way. Like I want a, I want a cordless mic. I don't want a stage. I'm moving around the tables. Lots of time on the feedback. People will complain. I didn't know where the front of the room was. <laughs> and right. I, I just love that. But when you said this, I think, I think I'm capturing the Tim clue formula as vulnerability with brutal honesty, with tragedy can create the comedy and inspiration for the people who work with kids to remember just how unique everybody is and that everything that we have a label for is actually just an Ophi, just an opportunity for improvement. And, and I love that. And I, I love how you phrase that. I love how you said it. And I'm just, I'm just proud of what you do. Thank you, man. Drop the mic, you know, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the last question I have for you is, is this, what do you find to be the greatest hurdle you face when you are working with teachers, uh, educators, people sometimes falling into healthcare, et cetera, uh, when, when they come into the room? Because a lot of times I, I, what, I, what, I've, what I look forward to getting over the hurdle of is there's lots of have-to people in the room, like I have to be here. And then I always tell them, my, my goal for you is by the time we're over that you, that you say to yourself, I got to be in the room today. Yeah. Well, how do you yeah. mentally prep? What's your, what's your mindset? You know, I had, a, I had a football coach come up to me and said, you know, I brought the newspaper in today to either pretend to read, read, or nap. And dang it, uh, I, I didn't get to do any of those. Thank you. <laughs> um, Best so compliment, right? You know what? I took it. Yeah, it, it might be on my tombstone, right? <laughs> um, so now, you know, first off, I say this, Ted, with so much admiration, love, and celebration of education and teachers, and and I do mean administrators in this uh, in this ecosystem as well, because there, I learned that leadership is uh, imperative to allow the art of teaching to exist. And um, but with that said, to answer your question, you know there's no child that can become a connected communicator leader, uh, a curiosity, uh, you know, a, a curious curator of curiosity for the rest of his life. If that kid doesn't see role models that are willing to connect and engage. And what's ironic, and I say this with love and kindness in my heart, educators, is that if you want to have a room of, you know, 200 independent CEOs with their eight foot offices, try to speak to a bunch of high school teachers. Cause I'll tell you right now, they will have their laptops. They will do everything possible <laughs> in, in every way to be like, yeah. And you know what? I don't blame them. It's learned helplessness. And ironically, what they don't understand, Ted, it's the same thing that happens in their classroom. 
yes. at times with their students, right? Tim, and, you're, Tim, you're speaking to the choir because here's the deal. When you teach, when you work with elementary teachers, they're like really kind and, and open and, and they're afraid to be like confrontational. You get to middle school and, and then the middle school teachers, you know, they're, they're great people. They're a little too energetic. They ask too many questions. Yeah. Where's this from? Whose idea was this? And then you get to high school and God bless them because I was a high school teacher. You've never been in a room of smarter people uh, in their own view ever. And they don't understand why they have to do anything. And we've actually built confederacies for them to protect themselves in departments. Yeah. But they everybody acts at the level of which they work. Elementary people act like elementary kids. Middle school yes. teachers act like middle school kids. High school teachers act like high school teachers. Well, I think I, I think I think high school teachers are traumatized. I, and I'm not. I'm not. I, 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 and that's a whole other podcast. I'm sorry, we can't go there. <laughs> yeah. That's. But uh, they're. You know, we, we know that they're uh, underappreciated. Uh, uh, and under medicated. I think that's what we know. <laughs> uh, no, I think, in all, I in think, all unfortunately, I think, unfortunately in the world we live in right now, that, that everybody working in the public sector is, is in a position of, of too often being criticized and then creating a story in their head for the, uh, creating a story in their head that they, that they're undervalued and they just, you are, and they are so, but I cut but you off to, to no, but to, you hit such a chord with that question, and I can answer it so easily. The number one struggle is to transition every mind of all kind into an engagement mindset, into an engagement mindset. And that mm -hmm. is being vulnerable enough, happy enough, and capable enough to be to enter the fog, to, the, to enter the fog of right or wrong to participate in the happy accident, to, to struggle to gain control of awkwardness, and to experience capacity when you reflect upon it. And teachers are sometimes the least willing to step into that, uh, onto that stage, into that yeah. moment. Yeah, because it's just- Sometimes they don't. They get hit from Haley, so you want to be on my podcast? You want to meet, you want to meet Ted? You're on a podcast? Yes, this is uh, Ted Knightsky. And he speaks to, uh, I, my daughter was, a, come here, Bailey, come here. I want to tell you a quick, come here. No, come daughter, on. Come here. Come on, Bailey. Get on it. So, hey, Bailey. Listen, sit here. Stay, don't spaz out. Okay. Why are you doing that? Uh, okay. Very good. Sit down, dork. I want to tell a quick, sweet story about you. Tell, 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 tell Mr. Knightsky why, um, we adopt, how we, how you came to us. You're, you're adopted. Do you know why? You know, I've told you the story. Magic. No. Do you remember why? What What did your birth mother say? On our on uh, her mother and I adopted her, and we we, we we wrote on the form. Now listen up. We wrote on the form. We're we're ADD, OCD, living together in perfect disharmony. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And uh, I mentioned that I had I, that I suffered. It was a learning challenge. Left-handed dyslexic, uh, rug rat. What are you doing? No, you're not going to be on the phones. You're like, this is going fine, to be out. Fine, I'll talk to you later. No, stay here. Stay here. <laughs> here it is. And Bailey has, uh, in seventh grade, and she's reading at a seventh grade level, but in uh, in third grade, she was reading at a first grade level. And she's getting uh, great grades, all A's and B's. And um, the, her birth mother was, I'm going to get a little emotional here, but she was so uh, like uh, profound that because she had 
dyslexia and some learning challenges. She chose us to raise Bailey because she thought she wanted a parents that would have empathy for that. Oh, that's really cool. Situation. That's now really can, cool. Now you can go. Yay. Wave, wave goodbye to the people. Bye-bye, Bailey. <laughs> that's a great story. Isn't that oh, amazing? That's a whole nother podcast right there. Adoption, yeah. love, caring. Well, and also, you know what? Uh, my wife hesitated. She's like, should we really make that our first line on our, you know, every, everyone who's ever adopted you, 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 you have to do, you have to tell people who you are. Right. 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 And, uh, and I said, you know what? Um, we're going to put it out there and, and, and the world is going to give us exactly back uh, the, the, the kid we want to raise. And that's what happened. That's beautiful. I, I, I tell you, uh, Tim, in in the hour here that we've been hanging out together, you've really demonstrated one of my favorite qualities about people, and it's authenticity. And and it's something that you know we strive for the, our own children, the people we work around. And before you touched upon engagement, and and I truly believe that I individually own my own engagement, my own happiness, and and the ability to be authentic. Uh, it's just it's such a gift. And you know, just barely meeting you, I'm really proud of you. Um, and, and, and our podcast is about this very specific type of leadership called Buffalo leadership. And, and what Buffalo leadership means is basically when we see a storm coming, we charge into it and it's the fastest way to get through whatever problems that we're facing. And you have just consistently demonstrated over and over and over. Here is how I charge into those storms, whether that be, you, you know, your first day at Bradley you know, in that philosophy class or psych class, asking questions, getting booed, um, and just just learning to advocate for yourself. And then at the same time, authentically reinventing yourself multiple times to the current state that you're at. So that's really cool and good for you. Oh, gosh. Can, you know, I got, I got to call my mom. I'm getting a little teary-eyed here. <laughs> yeah, if you want me, we'll send her the podcast at the end there. Thank but, you. But I'm going to end it with your quote and ask you to respond to it. So you said before, we teach what we most need to learn. And I wrote that down and then I followed it, which is with, and maybe that's why teachers teach kids so we can learn about life. I, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. That was absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. You know, uh, the, the things that we need uh, and the things that we can impart are almost the same things. I really believe that. And, uh, uh, it's the, it's the birthplace of invention, reinvention. And, uh, it's the place where the classroom succeeds and breathes and is a special place. And I just wish that the rest of the United States understood there's a deficit in our awareness of the value of minds of all kinds and the great art of teaching it takes to bring them forth. I wish we were higher up on the, on the, on the chat GPT three results that uh, we're, let's just say we're, 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 we're not, we're not in the seventh slot, Ted, in, in terms of, you know, understanding the need for more counselors, more therapy, more, uh, you know, more problem-based learning teachers and every kind of instructor you could possibly imagine. And what's scary is that if we were to invest in that, that that investment would return to us tenfold. Mm -hmm. There's no money that could be spent. You know, it was very funny when we started getting tutors for my 
kid, you know, that can, that the price can run up pretty quickly. Right. When you, yep. you, you and uh, my wife just, you know, had a momentary hiccup and she's like, can, you know, what, what about her college fund? And I said, guess what? You don't need a college fund if your kid can't get into college. Right. 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 Well, so, but what I'm saying is I, I wish we, my point is I wish we, there, there's a wonderful documentary um, about early education. It's called no small matters. If you're an early education teacher, please just go grab it and watch it right now. No small matters. It's just so beautiful and powerful. And it, it teaches us what they know in Finland and in Germany and Norway. Uh, these are the most uh, lauded and appreciated and educated teachers are the ones teaching three-year-old to eight-year-olds. I think you, you just hit on something, Tim, as we close out here, that's really important is if weirdly in the United States, we love to fix versus prevent. Ah. We, we are annoyed by fire inspectors and we love firefighters. Yeah. Ah. Preach. <laughs> yeah, speak. Preach. speak. Oh my God. We're doing speak. this every night, but that's, that's what it, it drives me wild. We don't want to spend money on 4K, but we'll spend a ton of money trying to recover a junior in high school who has completely lost their motivation, is struggling with their teachers. And like you said, uh, you know, some of the teachers need that therapy because, you know, they're inheriting the end of the spectrum. And it's it's a bunch of people who are have have become disengaged or disenfranchised. We can eradicate we can eradicate dyslexia with early diagnosis, just like blindness is very rare now. They, they, they understand it. The reading of science has uh, arrived and it's really powerful what happened to my daughter and it can happen to every kid in the United States and the world, to be honest, but it does take a focus, uh, a commitment uh, and an understanding that is, I think necessary, but I think still not, we're not there. We're not there. But at the end of the day, like yours narrative says, you ran into some great teachers who sparked you ran into some great professors who who diagnosed and put us in this position to be here, two guys talking into microphones who statistically should not be doing this. So well, yes, we we are the exception to the rule. The uh yeah, we're the thing that slipped through the cracks, right? But that's that's what I love what you said about Island of Misfit Toys. I believe every educator came. Oh, can I end with this? I'm gonna tell please, you uh, please okay. The 1961 version of the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer cartoon that uh, uh, you referred to about the yeah. island of misfit toys. Do you know that in the original version that Kodak put out, Santa goes over the island and waves to the island of misfit toys and says, ho, 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 and uh, begins to distribute the, 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 the other toys to the <laughs> children. He passes over the island <laughs> of misfit toys. The, One the final shot. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of, he snubs them. It's a Santa snub. <laughs> and, and what ensued is a million letter writing campaign, over a million letters, almost all from children and obviously parents that helped that said, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, sanity's to give all the gifts to all the children all over the world. And then they went back and they redid it where Santa lands his little cart, grabs the gifts, puts them on the sleigh, and heads forth. And saves and the that's day. That's the pivot point that we are at. Santa can't head over the island of misfit toys and wave anymore and say, ho, 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 uh, all is well. 
that, I love it. That chapter I love it. has ended. I hope I get a Charlie in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs a Charlie in the box. Everybody. Tim, thanks for joining me on the Smart Thinking Podcast. I look forward to seeing you springing a success. And this was truly a joyous evening for me. And uh, like I said, uh, it, it was fun. Uh, we got to do a little improv, a little laughing, a little thinking, a little research. And uh, you really are a gift to the world. So thank you. Oh, be quiet, friend. You are too. This is my favorite 54 minutes in the last year. So, uh, you know, <laughs> take, take, take that and put it in your happy pipe and smoke it. So let's do some smart thinking. I just have one reflection for you after that incredible conversation I had with Tim, and that is this. When he said, we teach what we most need to learn, what did that mean to you? That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening, and please make sure to share and rate this episode. I really do appreciate the time that you give to these podcasts each week so that you can learn and grow. And I think this conversation is an excellent example of a million different things that we can take away from my conversation with Tim and implement in our own leadership all of the time so we can grow stronger and charge into the storms that we're facing. And as always, thank you to the Well Pennies for their awesome music that they give us permission to use each week. Okay, as we close out here, I just really want you to reflect upon when you run into interesting people, like my conversation with Tim, I did not think that that was what was going to happen. And I could not have had more fun. I actually texted uh, Jean Marie, a woman I work with who had set up Tim as our speaker and said that if she, myself and Tim got in a car, we would go for a ride and forget where we were going. And people like him fuel me. I hope it fueled you. And I want you to remember one thing as you head into your week this week, and that's that every child that we have the privilege to be around, every person that we get to serve has a unique story. And all we have to do is just take a moment to practice the greatest quality of leadership, which is empathy, and be curious and wonder, who is this person and how can I help them? Would you say when I'm gone away, my lover came to me, and we lay in rooms unfamiliar, but until now, oh, 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 until now, oh, 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 until
Riverside